In the following live session recording, Tim Cool, Chief Solution Officer with Cool Solutions Group in Charlotte, North Carolina, leads the session entitled Guests versus Visitors. When you hear the words visitor and guest, do you consider them synonymous? Do you think we are splitting hairs by looking for a distinction between the two terms? Tim Cool believes we must be intentional with the words we use. In this session, Tim will explore some simple but intentional adjustments that we can make to transform your guest's experience. Let's join Tim now. Boom, okay. So thanks for coming. Um, we're gonna have a little bit of fun um, as well as hopefully be informative. Um, the other sessions we dealt with were a little bit more nuts and bolts on um, the how-to's and how to budget properly for facilities and so on and so forth. To give you a little background on myself, I've spent the last 34 years helping churches be what I could consider facility stewards. Uh, I believe facility stewardship is, is a, um, a term and a concept that needs to be embraced by our churches. Um, the, if, if you go to the New Testament, and if you use the NIV, the word entrusted is used 55 times. The word entitled is never used. We are not entitled to our church facilities. They've been entrusted to us by God. If we believe everything on earth belongs to God, that he entrusted it to us to be the stewards of his facilities. And so I believe in this concept of facility stewardship that has four components to it. One is, is the planning the right building to meet your ministry objectives. Can we all agree that the building will never save a soul? Okay. It's merely a tool to help you facilitate the vision and mission God has called your church to do. The second part of facility stewardship is utilizing the building the way God wanted you to. Um, I've said this in the other sessions, but next to the NFL, the church is the worst user of facilities. Arthur Blank spent a billion, a billion two on the new Mercedes-Benz for eight home games a year. You know, and we build you know, millions of dollars of church facilities and do we really utilize it the way it should be used? The third part is we have to maintain and manage the facilities. And the fourth piece is we have to plan for inevitable long-term costs. Well, each of those impact what we're gonna talk about this afternoon. So, let me ask the question, how many of you have guests at your church, and how many of you have visitors at your church? Yes. you have guests? Okay. When, when you first see that, guest parking, visitor parking, what's your first reaction? Do you have it one, one over the other? Inclusion versus inside or outside. Yep, inside versus outside. It's, um, how many of you have a, a visitor of honor come or you do a visitor blog or how many of you have a visitor bedroom in your house okay you have a guest bedroom there's and, and this may sound like semantics but words mean things to people and um, so a visitor is typically somebody who comes and goes without much preparation on your part and not much thought thereafter they're also referred to as in-laws <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> guests, on the other hand, are typically people that you have already taken preparation to arrive. You may not know who that, that guest is going to be, but you've already thought that there is going to be a guest, 
and how can we make their guest experience the best possible? Who are your church buildings for? In most cases, a lot of time we build them for us, for right. the church body. And, in, and th I'm not going to say that that's wrong, but if that's the case, then none of this is going to be relevant for you all. Because if you're building for yourself, then you don't need guests. Right. We have a us four and no more, and we're good to go, and yeah, we don't worry about growth or whatnot. If you're concerned about growth, then you need to be looking at your buildings from the perspective of someone who's not here yet. And what will a guest experience be for them? What ends up happening too often in our churches is we put barbed wire around them. We don't know we've put barbed wire around them, but we put signs up, do not use church playground. Or uh, no parking here, in, particularly in an urban setting, where you know, parking for staff only. What, what we're basically doing is saying, we don't want you to be on our site. We don't want you to be part of our community. This is for us. This is our country club. And this is, this is all about us. So all buildings tell a story. The question is whether or not it's an intended story or not. And for some of you who are in the morning session, some, a little bit of this is going to be a repeat. But um, when you're driving home today, look at buildings intentionally as you look at them and, and say something in your mind in the first 10 seconds of you seeing it. What, story, what did that communicate? What emotion did that evoke? What did you immediately think about what goes on in that building? Those are the type of things you want. So we're going to, I'm going to show you a bunch of images of actual church buildings. And I need you to participate and tell me, assume that you're brand new to the community, you're driving down the road at 25, 30 miles an hour, and you see this building for the very first time. What what's immediately comes to mind, okay? So what I'm going to show you, number one, is not offensive. Number two, it's not disparaging any of these buildings. They, they, they all serve a purpose. So, first one, what do you immediately, what immediately comes to mind? Blah. 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 Growing. Growing. Okay. But for a second, I need you all to take off your I go to church hat. Growing for a non-believer, that's not where that communicates. Oh, okay. So put on your hat, I don't go to church, and you drive by this. What is it? What is it? Plain. Plain. Not inviting. Not inviting. Didn't take you all very long to come up with some ideas. Again, your buildings are going to communicate a story. You go by this next one. No money. A warehouse. No money. A warehouse. A feed store. And it may very well have been a feed store because it's got a roll-up door here. As I shared in the earlier session, while I am not drawn to the architectural motif on this, it has redeeming factors for me because they repurposed this for a sacred purpose that wasn't originally intended for. So instead of burning up more natural resources and buying land and all the other things, they were able to repurpose something that has meaning. It's a good thing to have the cross on it. Yeah. <laughs> if it didn't have the cross, we probably would think it's Joe's garage. Yes. Oh, uh, High church. High church? High church. Museum. Museum. Antique. Antique. I think old. None of us see it. For me, I admittedly think downtown and no parking. 
Those are the two things that immediately come to my mind. The, the subset of that is they don't have any children there. Not church. You know, so again, these are all things that conjure up in our mind when we see different buildings and different stories. <laughs> wow would be one word. They built, they, this is a chapel outside of their, this is in Europe. I'm just going, what? Yeah. What? To, to me, to me, this is they've got more money than brains. <laughs> okay. Because why would you do that to a historic building? I'm sorry. To me, this says first something. First Baptist, first Methodist, first Presbyterian, first whatever. Traditional. Okay. Traditional. So I, I was a music major in college, and I have the pink tassel to prove it. Why do they do that? I don't know, but I got Why you go through four years of ridicule of being a music major, and then they give you a pink tassel when you graduate? That's just wrong. Um, but because of my background, I immediately think hymns and choir robes. It's the first two things that pop into my mind. Yeah, but you're doing church stuff now. I know. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's good. Yeah. Third day of the tent revival. Tent revival, okay. Hot air balloon. Again, every church, every picture I'm showing you are real churches. Somewhere. Somewhere in the world. Thomas Kincaid. Yes. And we had the comment in the early session, it looked like a postcard. Um, is anyone familiar with who Eric Geiger is? He was the second command behind Tom Rayner at, at Lifeway. Tom, uh, Eric went to this church as their lead pastor this year. This is Mariner's Church out in uh, Huntington Beach, California. And the story for them was they had a 4,000 seat black box. You know, contemporary, all blocked in, whole nine yards. But their community was predominantly liturgical people that came from Catholic, Episcopal, other things like that. And a black box didn't say church to them. So they needed a wedding chapel, so they built about a 350-seat wedding chapel that they open up 24-7 with prayer stations like you would in a Catholic church with candle lighting and parchment and so on and so forth to make it attractional for their community. And they put it on the front of it so it screams church. Last one. Modern. Modern. Insurance building. Insurance building? <laughs> like a, like a, when I think of it, I think of like the High Museum of Art. Like yes. Art Museum. This is actually in Greenville, South Carolina. It's a building called the Hangar that is the youth building. And you can't see it unless you want to get real close, but there's an airplane yeah. hanging awesome. from the, the ceiling there. Again, the idea for them, the story they were trying to communicate was, you know, come on in here, youth. We're going on a journey together, and we're going to do this whole thing, you know, together, kind of thing. So they use the building to help communicate the story. So all facilities tell a story. The question is, is it congruent with who you are? Does the does what the building says on the inside and outside represent who you are as a church? 
This is very common, particularly, or this is an issue with many churches that have an aging building, but they're doing church in a more rev rev uh, relevant way or a more contemporary way on the inside, and it looks like you're schizophrenic. Who you th it's got to be congruent with who you think you are. You want to tell your story about going to the church and not being greeted? Yeah, actually, as a pastor, and, and you know, all my life I've visited churches around, but uh, I had an experience recently where I went into a church. It was a big church. It was on television. Um, I was not spoken to, nor was my wife spoken to. Uh, from the parking lot in, through the service, and out. And, and I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I'd never go back to a church. <laughs> and I'll tell you, they think they probably think they're a friendly church. But what they mean is we're friendly with each other, but not necessarily anybody else. It's also going to be congruent with what you believe, your vision and mission. If your building says the opposite of what you stand for, the building is going to speak louder than what you say you stand for. If, if, you, are, if you want to reach the homeless and you want to reach and do more missions and so on and so forth, and you have... Uh, $5,000 chandeliers and marbled floors and so on and so forth, that's not congruent with what you believe and so your building is telling a different story than what your vision and mission is. <clears throat> the next is, who are you trying to reach? Is it congruent with your target market? So when I say target market, does anyone get offended? <laughs> so I use the term on purpose because it provokes people to think a little bit. The, when I talk target, I'm not talking exclusivity. Dave Ramsey, Larry Burkett used to say, if you want to know where your heart is, look at your checkbook. So your target is where you commit the most amount of resources, human, physical, and dollars. Doesn't mean you don't want other things. And I tell you right now, every church represented in this room, you have a target market whether you've identified it or not by the way you do church. I can walk into a church in the first two, three, four, five minutes of prelude, I can tell you who your target market is. If it's a Bach fugue and a guy's walking down with smoke and incense, you've got a different target market. If, um, if you do a, a William Bradbury hymn to start off or a Bill Gaither chorus to start off your service, you've got a different target. If you come to my church and we happen to play Led Zeppelin on, on Sunday morning as the prelude music, it's a different target. None of them are right or wrong. So don't get hung up on contemporary and traditional. Frankly, those are just made up words in the church. Because what's traditional? As a music major, I can tell you traditional is Gregorian chant. So how many of you want to go back to traditional music? <laughs> because then, then came along Bach, and then when Vic, Fanny Crosby and William Bradbury and all the hymns right, they were considered outcasts because it wasn't classical music. So traditional just means what I grew up with. It doesn't, it's not a right or wrong. And contemporary, what's contemporary? Is Bill Gaither still contemporary? You know, yeah, he was at one time. The, what contemporary means is it's going on right now. So technically, all worship is contemporary. If it's truly happening right now, then it's contemporary. So I try to throw out the whole contemporary and, tra and traditional and go more with the contextual of who you're trying to reach and who God's called you to be and then be the best at it you possibly can. 
The next is it's got to be congruent with your community. You don't want to walk into a neighborhood of million dollar homes as a church planter or any church, buy a really nice piece of property and put up one of those metal buildings. I mean, no, number one, the, the guy that lives in a million dollar home isn't coming to your metal building church. If anything, he's probably mad at you because you've now taken the property values down by putting up a building that's not congruent with the community. Just little things to keep in mind as, as you start thinking about how to use buildings. So a lot of what we're gonna talk about is being intentional. And I'm gonna use some examples and some descriptions of some, some of the best examples of being intentional for facilities and not necessarily church. Intentionality does not necessarily have to mean more expensive. Give you a prime example. The story goes, whether it's legend or real, that Walt Disney was, as he was getting his first park up, bought a bag of popcorn or an ice cream cone, and when he got done eating that, he said, that's where the next trash can goes. So he looked at how many paces it takes to eat one of their snacks, and says, the next trash can needs to go here, because I don't want people throwing it on the ground, I want them putting it in the trash can. That's just being intentional with those kind of things. So as part of this in dealing with guests versus visitors, we have to think about first impressions. So some would say that it takes about seven seconds to create a first impression. So where do first impressions start? Parking lot. Nope. Oh, well, yeah. Website. In today's world, the, the whole first impression starts at the website. When I was growing up, my grandfather, uh, who lived in the same house his whole life, if, um, if we wanted to hear any, what was going on in the neighborhood, we sat on the front porch. And you could hear the neighbors argue and fight and whatever. And if we wanted to know what was going on in the community, he would walk me up to the general store and he'd buy me pumpkin seeds and we'd sit there in the rocking chairs with the, the old timers and you'd get a sense of what's going on. Well, today we all Google it. Um, I mean, if you invited me to go to the nicest restaurant in your town, I'm still going to Google it before I come. I'm going to look at the menu, what do I think I'm going to order, is there a dress code, is there this, that, and the other. What ends up happening is we don't take our websites as serious as we should. Can you imagine having Britney Spears' picture show up on your women's ministry page? <laughs> this is one of those websites where you, you allow advertising to pop up on your website. Well, that's not what you want. And then, you know, you can't hardly see it, but in this picture it's predominantly uh, senior saints. Um, if that's who your church is, then that's great. But if that's not who your church is, is that a picture you want on your website? The other thing that we've seen happen in the last several years with all of these out-of-the-box websites that you can buy, Clover and all these other companies, is they have all these stock images of people smiling and, you know, ethnic diversity and all this kind of stuff, or children frolicking in the fields. Well, if that's what you put on your website and they show up and everybody's 90 years old, it's called bait and switch. Okay, you don't want to set a bad taste in somebody's mouth right off the bat. So first impressions start with the website. The next place is your streetscape and exterior design. So here's some of my favorite church signs. Going to hell, you are welcome. <laughs> Don't let worries kill you, let the church help. 
<laughs> yeah, really, I mean, was no one thinking when they put these signs up? <laughs> or if you go up between uh, Toledo and Cincinnati, there's Touchdown Jesus. Touchdown Jesus. <laughs> yeah. and actually, Touchdown Jesus was Mark. struck by lightning a few years ago, and they had to rebuild it. Yeah. And, um, so now it's, yeah, now it's this. Instead. So no longer is the touchdown. It's, a, it's more of a spread eagle. But uh, nevertheless, these all are communicating stories to the people that are driving by that aren't part of our congregations yet. So you got to look at this with a critical eye and say, okay, is this really what we're wanting to communicate to our community? So after streetscape and exterior design, the next is your parking lot. So the parking lot is a combination of easy access, even easy navigation. Are the lines properly painted? You know, is it safe to walk in? Too many parking lots and churches have what's called the river of death. <laughs> which is the area where cars are zipping back and forth trying to get out of the parking lot that everyone has to cross over to get to their parking space. The best scenario is what they do at event centers where you have walk aisles and then parking. And you do front end parking, front end parking and whatnot. How many of you have a ministry, a parking lot ministry? Okay, a few. Um, parking lot ministries are one of the best ways to have a great first experience when people are pulling in. It also helps with safety, but beyond that, it also provides an opportunity for people to volunteer that otherwise wouldn't volunteer. Uh, let me give you a prime example. We were part of a church plant in Charlotte, and we met in a um, sanctanasium, gymatorium, whatever you want to call it. And, um, and we had a group of us back when I was in my 30s that we would show up on Saturday morning early and they would leave it torn down so we could play basketball Saturday morning with the agreement that we would set up all the chairs and get it ready for Sunday. Well, the church kept growing and finally built a sanctuary with permanent pews. We no longer had a reason to set up. And that, that group of 20, 30 guys was kind of a small group. Those are the guys that, you know, you said, hey, how was the ball game on Friday night? Slap them on the butt and, you know, whatever else goes on. You built relationships with them. Well, if the church would have had the foresight to say, Tell you what, we need a parking lot ministry, and we're going to give you all real cool orange vests, um, and we're going to let you go out there. We want you to wave. You don't have to say anything to anybody, uh, but wave and instruct people in, because a lot of those guys would never work in your nursery, but they would do that because it feels like it's more manual. Man, man, manly. Manly. Thank you. <laughs> My fourth fourth workshop in two days. Um, so it, it, it's a very, very, very low cost initiative and it's a great way to have people feel welcome as they're pulling into your parking lot. So after parking lot, we've got wayfinding. Does anyone know what wayfinding is? Signage. And it's not just signage, it can be all sorts of things. Um, I've done projects where we've done, as you start walking into a nursery, we had bubble music playing to start calming the parents, not the children, calming the parents as they're getting ready to drop their kids off. There's, uh, Disney again was a master. If you go to their parks, when you go down Main Street and you start breaking off into the different parks, the flooring changes and the odors change. They purposely do that to start creating a atmosphere and an environment that makes that unique versus the rest of the park. Um, I've got a, a church that, that we attend in Charlotte, and we have our own specially um, 
formulated smells. We've got, we've got machines throughout the building and we've got 13 campuses, so we've got them in all the buildings. So when you walk in, it's the same smell every campus and whatnot. And it, you know, for those that are regular attenders, it starts to mean something. So another one of Walt Disney's sayings was, you can get a dog to do anything you want one of two ways. The first way is you can take a stick and beat it. The second way is you can take the same stick and put a weenie on it and lead it. So, I believe churches need more weenies. And I'm not talking about the music staff. <laughs> so how many of you have ever been to a Disney park? Okay, you all make too much money. So, you know, after you pay the, you know, $9,000 or whatever it is to get in, and you, you get through the turnstiles, and you turn by the fire station, and you're on Main Street USA, and you look down, what do you see? The castle was Walt Disney's idea of a weenie. There's not a single sign that says, go there to the castle. There's no ushers telling you, you should go there if you want to go to the castle. It's, it's there. There's a visual clue right off the bat. And the architecture of the buildings actually gets slightly smaller the closer it gets to the castle, so it creates a funnel effect visually. These were all done on purpose to draw attention to Cinderella's castle. You know, things we can do in churches, you know, obviously good signage in our parking lot to help people navigate where they're gonna go. You know, which of the 50 doors is, is the front door? You know, understanding that. Um, you know, kind of marquee type signs, even vinyl graphics. I'm a big fan of vinyl, vinyl graphics because they're easily removable, they're inexpensive to start with, they're very colorful, you can make them kind of fun at the same time. Um, so be thinking about you know, things that you can do within your building, even your, your door signage, and you know, if you have free Wi-Fi, you know, publicize it. Um, but all of this creates a wayfinding, and it starts to communicate a story. So I'm on the road almost every week, and I'm 80% of the time flying somewhere. So Delta and I have this love-hate relationship. Uh, but when I land in an in a airport that I've never been at before, I look for three signs. Yep. Stick figure man, the car, the rental car, and the luggage. The minute I see that sign, my anxiety goes way down. Think about a guest, first time guest to your church. Is there enough visual clues and cues that they can navigate your building without somebody helping them through it? Those, that's the kind of vision you have to look at from a first time guest experience because their anxiety is high when they come. Even if they were invited by somebody in your church, if this is their first time ever, their anxiety is really high. The more we can do to lower it. If I could have every church tear down their current buildings and build new, I would recommend a hub and spoke design. Where you walk into the lobby, children, worship, youth, restrooms, whatever. And I could see it, I could navigate it, and I wouldn't have to ask a question because as a man, it's illegal to ask directions. Okay? So I don't want to look silly by asking somebody, where's the restroom? I want to know that that's where it's at. Now, I did find the, the Denver airport, which is the worst on signage. I always am anxious when I go to the Denver airport. 
but they at least had a yoga room. <laughs> um, so there was some there was some benefit with being there. And they have yoga because they have cannabis. So wayfinding, interactions. So this is a non-physical part of it. The interactions that happen at a church can make or break the physical. So I've been to a lot of church plants that are meeting in gyms where the building isn't helping them. You know, it's an old elementary school, maybe it looks run down, but they do things on purpose where they put up the teardrop signs out front, the people standing outside in colored t-shirts, and the interactions off the chain to where I felt like I had a great experience. I've been in other churches that were somewhat opulent and it was cold and sterile and the building did nothing for my experience. So, disclaimer, I'm a theorist. So I realize that there's some of this that you have to navigate kind of on your own, but I'm just trying to give some concepts here. So has anybody been to an actual Apple store to buy an Apple device? Yes. Okay. What is not in an Apple store that you have in every other retail store? Cash register. Cash register. There's not a checkout cash register. They, they have totally done away with it. Their staff are wearing iPhones around their neck or they've got an iPad and they're helping you and then they transact right there. So think if we could do this in the church world. I'm a first time guest, I've got my triplets with me and let's say they're five or six years old and I wanna go check them in into children's ministry. Instead of handing me a stack of cards that you want me to fill out with all my peanut allergies and all the other stuff and this kind of stuff, what if someone had an iPad and walked up to them and said, hey, it looks like you're, you're new. My name is Joe. Nice to meet you. Um, so tell me about your kids. And, they start telling, and that person starts typing it in for them. It's done a couple things. It, again, reduces the anxiety for people. But now it's created a relationship. Because the next time they come back, oh, Sally, thanks again. It's good to see you again. Um, you can then find out things about their family. Oh yeah, our kids go to Smith Elementary School. Oh yeah, I, I've got kids that went to Smith. And you build a relationship with someone instead of it being a formal kind of, here, fill this out kind of thing. You're also building a database. Yes, you're building a database at the same time. Um, and you're saving someone else on your church staff to have to re-enter everything again a second time. Tim, look at your play. Mm -hmm. You drive in places which they have. Yep. Again, it's, it, if we're thinking in terms of guest experiences, we also have to think in terms of customer service. And this is a form of customer service. Whether I know we don't like to consider the people that come to our church customers, but the mindset of customer service should be first and foremost. So then after interactions is condition. The condition of your facility is going to create first impressions for people right off the bat. These are pictures of actual churches that we've been to. So if you walk up and there's grass growing in the driveway, there's duct tape on the floor, there's chipped paint, what would be your first impression? Church. Exactly. And if they're not able to take care of the building, do you think they can take care of my family? No. It's communicating something to first-time guests. 
um, do not use this restroom <laughs> ever. No. So th th let me give you another analogy. Um, in Charlotte, one of our nicer grocery chains is Harris Teeter, until they got bought by Kroger. Um, and there's a Harris Teeter just about a mile down the street from my wife and I. And so when you have triplets and they're small, you're always looking for something to do. So Saturday, we generally would go to Harris Teeter to do something, and they had a, a free cookie area, and then we'd look at the candy aisle. But besides those two places, where do you take children in a grocery store when you go shopping? Restrooms. Restrooms. And with triplets, how many visits did I make? <laughs> Three. Milk, restroom. Meat, restroom. It was, it was that constant kind of thing. Well, the Harris Teeters always had tiled floor, tiled walls. Their ceilings weren't stained. Um, paper products were full. There wasn't trash running over in them. So if that's my experience as a non-churched person, that's what I experienced on Saturday. And for some reason, I come to your church on Sunday. Will I have a similar experience? Because they're going to judge you on that. Oh, but we don't want consumers at our church. We just want Christ followers. Garbage. Okay? They're all consumers. We're all consumers, like it or not. We all have preferences. We all expect things a certain way. Let me give you a real extreme example. We did uh, some work with some millennials. And one of their biggest beefs was with their home churches was they didn't have recycling bins. You think about it. My, my kids at 22 don't know a world without recycling at home and at school and at work. And so these millennials are going to the church and going, we don't have recycling bins. Oh, well, we don't do that here. Oh, so we're an organization that believes in good stewardship, but we're not going to steward the earth. There's a disconnect that happens, and we need to be... We need to understand who is it that we're trying to minister to. Um, one of the things that I recommend that, that you do, at least have your, your maybe staff and key leaders do this, is to write a script of the ideal first-time guest experience. This is, this is the cheapest consulting you'll ever get. But if you can have everybody write down what is the first, what is the ideal first time guest experience from the time they get on the website to the time they pull into the parking lot to the time they walk up to the door um, and so on and so forth. We were talking in the last session about 12 stones and I don't know if anybody's ever visited any of the 12 stone campuses. But you're touched five, six, seven, eight times before you get from the car to the building. There's someone in multiple places greeting you, saying hi, welcoming you, so on and so forth. At my church, we, we ask people to put on their flashers if they're a first-time guest. And then the, the parking attendants know where to park them in the first-time guest spot. And if they're a first-time guest, there's another team that has special colored um, uh, welcome packs that they give them right when they get out of their car. That way, the rest of the greeters, as you know, can look at it and they don't, oh, it's a first-time guest. It's a first-time guest, so I, I, I'll be extra whatever to them. Again, it's just being intentional. I'll be nice to them. I'll be nice to them <laughs> until I find out they don't tithe and then I'm cutting them off. <laughs> but think through, what is, what is the first-time first time guest experience going to look like? The, um, 
it'll do two things for you. If you if you actually write the script and you all land on something that's similar, it will show you where the gaps are today. Hey, this is ideal, but this is what we're doing. So now we've got something to shoot at. It also serves as a wonderful training tool for your volunteers. If if you're if one of the ideal scenarios is we want people to be touched, maybe not literally, but have communication with somebody at least five times before they get in the building, well, now you can train your team. Okay, this group, you need to make sure you, you um, talk to somebody before they reach this part of the parking lot, and this group needs to do this, and so on and so on and so forth. Just, just little things like that that can make a difference. The other thing that makes a huge difference from guests to visitors is the difference between second mile effort and first mile efforts. So let me explain what I mean by that. We're always talking about in customer experience and in guest experiences is, oh, we gotta go the extra mile. So we're gonna get the coffee mugs, we're gonna get the cool t-shirts, we're going to have mints in the bathroom and all this kind of stuff. Well, let me ask you what would be more important. Would it be more important to a guest to have a mint in the bathroom or to have the toilet paper full? Okay. And what's more important to a guest, to have the free cup of coffee or to see the coffee stains on the carpet? What's going to draw their attention? So while we want to go in above and beyond for that guest experience, we can't neglect the first mile things. We need to keep our buildings clean. We shouldn't allow trash to, to overflow in our restrooms. Um, there needs to be an interaction that is friendly and outgoing with people. Um, Make sure it's, it's comfortable, climate-wise, not like this room is right now. Um, you know, make sure that, 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 it, that it functions well and people can navigate your space. If you have a building, and I guess, how many of you don't have a building? Okay, good. Um, most of you have a building, and you're doing church the way your building tells you to do church. So, if you if you're in a position where you can't renovate and do all sorts of things, think about simple things to do. Get a bunch of more volunteers and have them at the guest central, wherever guest central is, and have them walk people back through your, please don't take offense, your rat's maze, you know, to get to places. You know, go the extra mile to help them navigate your campus. Don't just say, yeah, it, it's two lefts, one right, and then go straight down the next hallway. I'm sorry, I forgot it when you said two rights or two lefts. I've, I've already forgotten it. Um, and I'm not going to ask, so I'll wander around aimlessly and probably end up someplace I shouldn't end up. Um, but to me, that's, that's a key factor, is, is making sure that we can properly navigate our campuses. So it, let me ask the question again. Do you guys have guests or visitors? Yes. Yes. When you go home, look in your parking lot do you have visitor signs or guest signs? Yeah. Again, you're starting to communicate something with those first time guests by what you put on the sign. Um, I was just with a church in Raleigh this last week and they were so proud of the new signs that they had made that looked like tombstones. Um, and they say visitor parking. And I'm just like, oh dear Jesus, help us. <laughs> you know, and they, they were just so excited about it. Um, so think about it. So that's all I've got, but let me open it up for, for questions. I'm happy to stay as long as I need to, um, within reason.
<laughs> I want to see my sweetie when I get home, so. <laughs> Any questions? If, if you're limited on resources, if you're limited on expenditures and so forth, do you have a recommendation on concentration you should start with? Yes, human interaction first, because that doesn't cost you anything. So training up volunteers to help increase the, the experience. The, the next cheapest thing you can do is a thing called paint. Okay, you know, brighten up the colors, um, make them fresh on the inside, and then clean the building. Keep the building looking good. So, you know, I walked into this building, you know, there's stained ceiling tiles here. That vent looks like it hasn't been cleaned in a hundred years. Um, no criticism to hear. I'm just, these are, again, first time guest observances. When I came up the stairs the first time yesterday, I'm like, this building's got a schizophrenic personality. You've got all that nice gray carpet and the painted brick and very modern feeling. You walk up the stairs and all of a sudden you've stepped into 1950. This is the older building. Right. And so, no offense to the, to the church, and I, you know, churches, the beauty of my role is I don't have to worry about your budget. <laughs> okay, so I can give you lots of great ideas to spend money. Right. But, we need to be at least cognizant of what a first-time guest may look at. Um, a church will tell me that uh, our target market is families with young kids. But then you go into their children's ministry area and the floors are dirty, you know, concrete block walls, it's got um, window air conditioning units and all this. It's like, no, children are not your, your target market. Not at all. Because otherwise your facilities would represent what you're trying to accomplish follow-up is yeah how do you get so like I'm at a rural Georgia church we have great people but sometimes uh, a lot of our people that's the only church they've ever been to. like they've never even visited another church mm -hmm. right, except for a funeral and how do you get them to understand no this floor is not clean mm -hmm. like is our floor our, oh they clean it but it's not clean yeah but yet they they don't get they don't get that you've got to paint once every, you know, more than once every 25 years. <laughs> like, is there anything that you can, because they're, 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 they're nose blind to, like our, our church was, uh, I'm nose blind to it now. Our church was built in the 40s with, when nobody had nothing. And so they used creosote timbers. Mm -hmm. So if you walk in our church, you're going to smell pine tar 60 years later. Mm -hmm. But everybody's forgotten about it. Right. So how do you get them to understand? How do you get them to see things from a first-time perspective since they've been there their whole life? So a couple of things that, that you could do. One would be find somebody in your community that doesn't go to your church and ask them to come as an unannounced first-time guest and then give you a report afterwards, buy them lunch, buy them Starbucks. Secret shopper type, Secret shopper type thing. And you know, it, ideally it would be somebody that's not even a Christian. To look at it from from that perspective as well um, but that that's the cheapest thing you can do and, and have them say man I wouldn't have left my kids in your nurseries or something like that another thing you can do back on the table we've got a card for a, um, a online community that we have that's totally free called church facility management solutions we've got a ton of resources in there one of them is a cleaning calculator what it allows you to do is say this room is X square footage it's got what kind of floor covering, what kind of walls, 
how many windows, does it have a sink, does it have a toilet, and it will calculate automatically for you how many man hours it takes to clean at one time. Well, you do that for all your spaces, and you look at, this is how much we should be spending time-wise on janitorial for just one time a week, but we really want to clean it three times a week, so you triple it. Then compare that to what you really are committing time, and you'll, you'll make a determination pretty quickly between Motel 6 and Ritz-Carlton. You know, you're going to fall somewhere in there. And most churches think that they're closer to the Ritz-Carlton, where actually they're closer to a Hampton Inn, Holiday Inn Express, maybe not Motel 6, but they're, you know, they, don't, they don't have the perception of it. Yes, sir. I used to, First, I used to oh, be a facility director for a private school. If you are inviting people to come in and spend very large sums of money with you, you will learn how to take care and make sure that place is presentable. Sure. So if you got a private school in the area, have them go there and see what they do. Richard? Mm -hmm. Sure. you a thousand percent everything you've said there, but I'll let me stir the pot and get you to respond to it. Mm -hmm. Who are you targeting? Who am I targeting? No, no, no. Now, that was the question. Okay. At the beginning. And you were mm -hmm. careful about how you put it out there. I get that. I've been doing this a very long time. I really get it. Well, are we targeting everybody from birth to 97? I would say no. Not targeting. Doesn't mean that we don't want them there, but targeting is where I give all my energy. I cannot give the same amount of energy to children, to youth, to adults, to senior adults. It's just not possible. Churches can't be all things to all people. There, doesn't mean that you don't have a thriving seniors ministry and a great college class, but you may have an exceptional children's ministry. So, so it's, it's more of a matter of, when I talk target, it's more of a prioritization than it is an inclusion or exclusion. Does that make sense? It does. I guess we'd have to agree to disagree right mm -hmm. there on that. Because I think you're, if you got a church that says we're going to only reach the millennials. And that's not what I said. Church, that's not what I, I said. said. I know it's not what you said. But we've got to reach the entire group. My, my, my church in Charlotte, Elevation Church, we run 32,000 people on a weekend. Right, I get it. Their target market is clearly the 35 and down range. Right. I'm 58 years old. Mm -hmm. I attend there. I go there. We have a guy that serves in our volunteer at, at, as an usher that's 83 years old. Right. So, it's again, it is not a matter of excluding right. them or saying we're only going to focus on millennials. But there's got to be a, a focus point. Right. Right. And as far as and in the, the marketing, I'm saying, I'm just saying, I think sometimes we need to be broader in, in how we market. Mm -hmm. Cleanliness is always important. Yep. I mean, my motto is, I've always left every place better than I found. Mm -hmm. I think we got to do that. I think we've got, always got to be above most. You know, uh, well, yeah. I don't know. I, I just think we've got to be broader in our focus on trying to reach people. Point well taken. Yes, sir. I would agree with that, with the exception of agreeing with you in terms of if, if my children's ministry lacks um, energy and space and, and I haven't devoted enough money to that and I have money's everywhere else, I'm not clearly not interested. Right. that much in my children and that's reflected when I come in as a parent and see that you don't have an uptake facility for my kids mm -hmm. so uh, why you want to reach everybody where you really spend your money where your heart is mm -hmm. people will see that yeah. 
I guess is what I'm saying when I reach the children, and I do want to reach them, and I do want to reach the moms and dads, I also want that child to be very comfortable and say, hey, I'd love to bring my papa and my mama to church here, and they'd feel comfortable mm -hmm. here, too. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I think but, we, but with that said, I'm sorry, papa and mama want something that those kids don't want, or vice versa. And so that's where we're at in the world today. Is, like I said, I knew I would stir the pot. Well, but I'm in agreement with you. I'm going to target because the church is not going to grow if we don't recycle, if we don't bring in the young people. Us old people, we're going to make a decision. I don't like this music. I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't like this look. I'm going to go somewhere else. But if we're not feeding those 25 to 40 year olds, we're not recycling us. I, I'm 60, almost 60 years old. I'm gonna say, you know what, I'm okay. But I did think about this. Someone was talking to me at lunch about cartoons that have flashback to Tom and Jerry and so forth. As grandparents, <laughs> as parents, what do we want the most? Mm -hmm. If that grandchild walks in and says, Papa, I wanna turn the TV to watch something, I'm gonna let him or her turn the TV and watch what they want to watch. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna sit there and enjoy watching them enjoy. Yes. And I think that's what we're doing in churches now when that 83-year-old, mm -hmm. he probably doesn't like the Led Zeppelin music, yep. but he's watching his child enjoy it or his grandchild enjoy it. That's a blessing to him or her. And, right. and I'm kind of agreeing exactly with both of you guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but we need to be saying we need to be looking at them and loving on them and, you know, that, that route. Yeah, I used a, uh, an example, uh, told a story earlier this morning, but, you know, Elevation I refer to as full contact worship. <laughs> Helmets required sometimes. <laughs> uh, earplugs definitely required. Um, my dad had been a Wesleyan pastor, and uh, which makes me an ecumenical mess. Um, so I could lose my salvation, but I'm living under grace. I don't know which, which one it is. Um, but dad was more of a First Baptist kind of guy after he left the pastorate. He liked the big choir. He liked the coats and ties. He, that was just because it was culturally what he liked. He would never have come to Elevation, but he watched it every week, the sermon. He didn't listen to the music. He, he listened to the sermon because he believed in the vision and mission of the church, and he even tithed to it to support it, even though he would never go to it. And so one of the questions we get constantly when we're working with a multi-generational church and I'm a firm believer that when you're multi-generational, you can never neglect where you came from and the shoulders of who built you to get there. Never neglect that. But we also have to reproduce ourselves, you know, for the next for the next generation. So one of the biggest questions asked me is, how do we show our senior adults that they're also winning by by us doing a children's ministry building? Right. Yeah. And my answer always is, ask them if if what is there now they'd want their grandkids to come to mm -hmm. and are you are you helping us reach number one the next generation so that this legacy of this church and of Jesus Christ continues on and is it a place that we'd want our grandkids great grandkids to come to great topic thank you I've got a comment yeah um, actually a couple this gentleman was talking about his church kind of old school um, country church. Mm -hmm. I'm in a small church. Um, monies are always there for whatever needs to be done. However, it's not a 
a lot, but, but it's, we've always been able to cover. But as far as cleaning and that kind of stuff goes, we've got a, a person that her mom used to clean our church and she's gone and, and now the daughter cleans the church and it's almost for the same money as it's always been. And, and it's kind of like that's all we, we get is just what she can do on a couple nights a week mm -hmm. for X amount of dollars. And we could say, you know, let's family come in and, and do and help and clean church family. Mm -hmm. uh, but now folks are so packed out, busy. Mm -hmm. Nobody has time to go clean yeah. the church for a couple hours on Thursday night. What do you see, how do you see um, getting those kind of basic needs done is, is there a way or it, I mean, what? But if you can't get volunteers to do it, th then your next best thing is to outsource it. Yeah. Find a janitorial company. That just, can... just spend more money. Yeah. 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 Yes, sir. Uh, kind of answer to his question a little bit, and it goes in line with what you, you were saying. Our church went through a financial hardship for a while, and uh, we had been, we had been, uh, contracting our cleaning of the church out to a group and paying X number of dollars per month to this group to come in and clean. Well, when we went through this uh, financial struggle, we had to eliminate that. We had to just, for a while, we had to take them out. So what we did in place of that, we went to volunteers and we formed four different groups that would come once a week into the church and do all the necessary cleaning, and that was down to the restrooms, bathrooms, uh, mopping the floors, vacuuming the sanctuary, the whole works of what they were doing. And we did this until we got back to a level that we could bring back in the cleaning crew again. Mm -hmm. And that was strictly all voluntary. It, there was no cost to it. These people were not paid. Yeah, and, and you know, so the smaller churches obviously have some disadvantages because of funds. Right. Uh, my dad's biggest church he ever pastored was 150 people. Most of them were closer to 100. And um, I can remember he, he pastored in Buffalo, New York, the place no one should ever have to live, um, at least not in the winter. <laughs> and um, dad used to take myself and my brother to the church on Saturdays. He'd run the sweeper, we would dust the pews, we would dust the furniture, we'd make sure there was toilet paper. And we did it willingly because Dad would let us drive the car in the church parking lot when we were only in second grade. So that was kind of a, a treat. I've got one more comment. Yeah. Um, I think in the last few years, church has changed to where it's more of a venue to evangelize mm -hmm. rather than a place to come to and worship. And I think we've kind of got that skewed a little bit. And I, I, I'm hearing you talk about your church playing Led Zeppelin, and I know a church in Athens that mm -hmm. brings in different kinds of music for call to worship and, and whatnot. And, and so I, I, I'm hearing that, and I'm thinking, are, are people coming to church to be entertained or to worship mm -hmm. Jesus? And, and I get... I get different feelings from that 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 bother me you know is 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 my church conforming to the world or is my church standing strong on the truth and letting that be enough you well, know and, 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 and the, I, the gospel I, never I'm, changes I'm, right the gospel never changes 
our means and methods have to change. Or do they? I, yes, I don't see a single hitching post out here for a horse and buggy. Right. Things have changed. You know, I don't see anybody using Morse code to communicate with their, with their congregation. Things change culturally. The gospel can never change, but how we deliver it, how we present it, I think has to change. Um, otherwise, we're going to become totally irrelevant. It's not, it's not becoming part of the world, but there are some cultural norms, if you will, that I think are not wrong to be, to be a part of. I think that's part of that being having the difference between, to me, if your church have a, have a missional mindset or do you have a, you know, and, and I don't think it's either or, it's got to be both because, but, because you're, you're, you're trying to reach out in the communities and, and you want to bring, you know, bring unchurched people in. Uh, they're not coming to worship because they don't know what it is. They don't know what worship is. Yeah. They've not, they, but, they, but you are. Yeah, you, you understand what church worship yeah. is. But I can tell you the most, the, the, the best worship service I've ever been to was an NFL football game. Yeah. They're cheering, they're screaming, they're standing yeah. up. They're, they're, they are loving and worshiping those guys on the field. Uh, I think when I talk about being a missional, having a missional mindset is, is that in anybody that's ever, you know, not even, you know, you do some of this if you're doing short-term mission trips, but if you've ever really been on the mission field, you, you have got to go in with the idea of, okay, this is what the environment and culture is, and, and the message is not going to change, but I can't do here what I did back over here in, you know, Georgia and the United States. These people won't... It, it, I, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the missions piece because this is, we too often, we get it right when we think foreign missions. We go in and provide food and medicine and clothing and the gospel then is brought to. In the States, we think we take a Bible and slap people across the side of the head and that's going to win them to Christ. Instead of meeting them where they are and, and getting life and community with them and, and let them partially see it and then they can hear it from us as well. So. Uh, I'm not a proponent necessarily of lifestyle evangelism, but it is a part of it, of the then the discipleship that needs to come. It's about relationships. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if we don't take the opportunity to build those relationships, whether it's inside of our church house or outside of our church house, um, the gospel uh, is will be mm -hmm. We build those relationships, um, invest in these folks, love on them share the gospel, share the truth, your eyes are open, disciple them uh, to make other disciples. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I attended the um, group on the church planning. One of the first things they asked God to focus on was relationships. Mm -hmm. you know, they, they're given two years estimated amount of dollars. If they don't build relationships, and they're going to build a big building no relationships to bring people in what they done. Well the relationships I think you that's a, that's another one of those broad terms. This is my buzzword today, broad terms. But relationships we spend we did it today. We spend so much time, so much money, so much focus, so much on us for what's going on, on the inside. And I once heard a preacher say years ago and I, I can't get this out of my mind. 
if you if you don't have at least 50% of your friendship base consisting of lost people, you need to make some new friends. We can't be salt and light unless we're out there. Mm -hmm. You can't be salt and light inside the building. Yeah, and we're not going to grow as churches if we are expecting people just to come through our doors. Uh, it's not going to happen. Do so I go back to the bar? Sir, I can go back to the bar now? Who does they do the work? You can go off for rides home. Something I heard at, uh, I went to a men's ministry meeting several years back up at the Woodstock Baptist Church, and a gentleman said, talking about men's ministry, get together and so forth. He said, give them what they want. And then when they get there, give them what they need. Mm -hmm. And that has always stuck with me as far as ministries goes. You know, and talking about ministry, you know, talking about relationships, someone's not really concerned about their salvation if their stomach is sitting there just rumbling right. over and they're, they're starving, they're hungry. Yep. We meet their needs. Exactly. Um, we meet what they physically need, but then we can help exactly. feed them spiritually. How many of you enjoy fishing? Okay. Is it easier to catch a fish with the right kind of bait on the hook or with a bare hook? The right kind of bait. There's nothing wrong with us at our churches putting a little bit of bait on the hook. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with it. But communication, y'all. I have, I have a 30-year-old and a 29-year-old who's raised in church. You don't look old enough. I have a 19 and 18-year-old who were raised in church. Mm -hmm. Well, my two grown-up children, they can go to church and they can enjoy a regular traditional worship and they like contemporary. But my younger ones, they like contemporary. And they're probably going to walk in with gay friends. My older ones, it wasn't talked about as much. It mm -hmm. wasn't it wasn't out there. So we do have to look out for these younger generations. Well, and, and let me tell you, they are tech people. They're technology. Mm -hmm. I, I took it intentionally spending time with my older ladies. And I'll, I'll go, especially if I go somewhere, my Bible's on my phone. I'm not texting. <laughs> and I do that. I'll explain myself because the younger generation, mm -hmm. they're tech people. Spend time with your older people and let them know what to expect out of the younger people. Help them want to bring them in because it could be their grandchildren someday. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I'm a huge fan on multi-generational ministry. Yes. Because mm -hmm. there's so much that, that we can help 20 and 30 year olds and so much they can help us with as well. Yes. Um, in working with, I can't remember Royce's last name up at First Baptist Cartersville, but um, we were working with them on their project, and they, he said, I need more classrooms that can handle 50 to 100 people because of a couple things. One is we can get lots of people to teach Sunday school. We can only get a handful that can do it really, really well and keep people engaged in, in attention. So the lack of communicators has driven them to a larger group type of settings. He said the second thing though is millennials are saying they want larger groups and they want uh, multi-generational. They want to be with someone that's already been there, done that, someone they can get information from. Uh, my kids are incredibly sensitive to older people. Well they live with me. So, well, they used to live with me so they have to be sensitive to older people. But they are incredibly sensitive to, to older people. So there's a there's a respect that they have, and, and I don't think that that's unique to just my three kids. I think there's a fair amount of that with millennials that understand exactly. there's a generation ahead of me that I can learn from. Yes. Well, and, and today, and I, I just know in our context, 
we have a lot of kids that they live with their grandparents, mm -hmm. yeah. or either they're single. They're, they're like they're they live with their mom, but their mom's a single mom and she works, and so they spend significant time with their grandparents. Yeah. And so, like we had it, we had a, a we have a diverse group of kids that come on Sunday mornings. We go pick them up because your parents won't bring them, so we pick them. They come, and I just remember this one moment where. Uh, the senior adult lady, we had two brothers, and they were acting the fool because they'd never been in church before. Yeah, sure. Never yeah. sat in a service. And she walked from her seat over there, where she sits in every Sunday, and walked over here and just was like, hey, best, they, they didn't move another muscle the entire day. I don't know this to be true, but they probably, that's their experience because mm -hmm. I think their mom's a single mom, and so grandma's in their life. And mm -hmm. so there's added value. Absolutely. Have a great experience. Talk about your technical aspect of it. I'm 81 years old. I team teach in my social school class. We have one that's an educator. We have one that is a um, pastor. Excuse me, we have two that's educators. And then me. I do PowerPoints on mine. All the others do lecture. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing the comments we get with the university and how we approach things. Mm -hmm. So our classes never know what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, I came in one day and I changed all the chairs around and we played Jeopardy. Mm -hmm. And I picked three people up and said, all right, we're going to play Jeopardy. Bible you Jeopardy. This app you can get that you can put on the screen and use that. And we taught the school lessons through Jeopardy. Well, thank you all for the time. Thank you for um, you. Coming and uh, enjoy the, the closing session downstairs. Thank you. 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 Thank you.